fellas, what up? Welcome to episode 11 of the 2018 edition of the MFHC cast. I am the commish, and I am enjoying a little bit of Vicious Mosquito IPA from Sun River Brewing Co. on the Tuesday night, drowning my sorrows from what is yet another disappointing week for my squad. Uh, busy week for me this week, uh, so I want to do a little something different with the pod this week. Um, one of the benefits of being 40 years old is you get to be a little bit more introspective as Bartley will soon learn as he is about to exit the thirties, you get to kind of look back, reflect on mistakes that you've made and fair to say that I've made mistakes and have some regrets about this fantasy season. Not the least of which is, uh, my declaration of our top three teams as, uh, the fraud division, uh, all three guys came out and balled out last week. All three guys let me know about it in their own way. And so what I thought would be fun to do this week, instead of the usual kind of going through the games and, and looking forward to the next week, et cetera, is kind of looking at the top teams in our league and looking at why they might win the championship this year, why they might not. We're halfway through the season. I think it's a good time to do that kind of thing. Um, last week, you know, I called out Tim's team as – being very well positioned to take the whole thing down when it's all said and done. I stand by that. I think Tim's team is very well constructed. Want to talk about some of the other good teams in our league and kind of give you guys some props for doing some things well and look at some things that might um, derail you as the season goes on. Not going to talk about service, not going to talk about myself, Darren or Barsodi. We are all dead in the water. Also not going to talk about Nate's team, um, the Wild Stallions, the Vatos. I don't know. It confuses me when you change your name, man. Like Wild Stallions, I love it from Bill and Ted. But you guys, I, I, I think I'm always going to have to refer to you as the Vatos. Um, Duke Johnson Jr., Doug Martin, LeGarrette Blunt, and Theo Riddick are the running backs on this team. That team is not winning the championship. Um, start and end right there. So going to spend a few minutes just talking about um, where I think uh, teams are well set up to make a run and where some pitfalls may be. And I'm going to start with Tyser, who is at the top of the league, a.k.a. top of the fraud. Nicely played, my friend. Um, at 6-2, and two, looking real solid across the board. The first thing that stands out to me here is um, some things at wide receiver. Mike Evans stands to benefit significantly from the QB change in Tampa Bay. Uh, his splits with Fitzmagic at QB versus with Mike Evans at QB, I don't have him in front of me right now, but um, he does significantly better with Fitzmagic, who kind of locks onto him. And we actually saw that in this last game where he was just kind of having a, a middling game. I mean, in all fairness, you know, Jameis Winston was throwing the ball to the Bengals on every possession, so he didn't have a chance to do much. But it wasn't until Fitzmagic came in that he started to really pile up stats. And throughout his career, Fitzpatrick has had this tendency to really lock into one guy. And it seems to be that that guy is Mike Evans um, for him on Tampa Bay. So I think that even though, you know, earlier in the season after the draft, I was kind of down on Mike Evans. In general, I'm not a huge fan of Mike Evans' game. Um he has really no run after the catch ability. He's, he's almost like a, you know, oversized, like 
Yeah, I don't know. He's like he's like an offensive lineman out there, like catching passes. Like when they do like a tackle eligible or whatever in the end zone, like he catches the ball and just falls down. But that said, uh, with Fitzpatrick at QB, um, you know, this big monster, 6'5", 230 out there running nine routes, like he should have a really good second half of the season. So really like that for Tice. Talked about the Amari Cooper trade to Dallas last week. Um, saw a tweet today from a guy named James Coe who – was one of the guys at NFL Network that was doing the next-gen stats, left NFL, and I think is now at DirecTV doing fantasy stuff for them. He was talking today about the massive opportunity for Amari Cooper in Dallas's offense. And I don't think – I'm not that bullish on Amari in Dallas's offense, uh, but what I do think we'll see with Amari is consistent targets, which he wasn't getting in Oakland and really didn't get in Oakland last year either. Um, you know, was very up and down peaks and valleys. This, you know, going forward in Dallas's offense, I think you can pencil him in for six to eight targets a week, potentially with some spikes in there, depending on game flow. They are a team that wants to slow the ball or slow the game down. They want to run the ball. They want to play good defense. So I don't think this is like a massive, massive, like, you know, game change for Amari Cooper. But I do think what it does is it locks him in with a solid floor, which he didn't have before. Calvin Ridley is a guy who has been really touchdown dependent, has not gotten a lot of um, has not gotten a lot of volume in the in the Atlanta offense necessarily, but has scored touchdowns on limited volume. So, you know, he's in there right now in Tice's lineup, I would assume, because Alshon Jeffrey's on a bye. Uh, Alshon's looked really good this year. When he's healthy, he's a really good wide receiver, uh, as we saw last year with Tim getting him for a dollar. Not gonna let that die. Um so I, I would have to think that Alshon would be Tice's wide receiver three going forward over Calvin Ridley. Um, also has Danny Amendola and Doug Baldwin on the bench. So, you know, certainly depth at the wide receiver spot there. The big thing for Tice for me is the Adrian Peterson pickup before the season started. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. I think that, you know, despite Bartley's claim that Tyler Boyd is the waiver wire pickup of the year, I actually think Adrian Peterson's the waiver wire pickup of the year. Washington's playing really good defense, and as long as they're playing with a lead, they're going to feed Adrian Peterson the ball. The problem for me with AP is when they're behind, he's not going to be in the game. They're going to run out Chris Thompson and throw him the ball a ton. The other issue that that I think we have to recognize with AP, and I mean, he's maybe just superhuman and this doesn't matter. He's a 33-year-old running back in the NFL. It's really kind of unheard of for a 33-year-old running back in the NFL to have success over the course of the entire season. So we'll have to see how he holds up down the stretch. But, you know, so far, that's looking like a really nice pickup for Tice. Has Atlanta this week. They have been getting absolutely annihilated by running backs this year. But for the most part, they're getting annihilated by running backs in the passing game, which is not part of AP's skill set. So depending on how healthy Chris Thompson is, this next week could shape up to be more of a Chris Thompson game than an AP game. Um and then lastly for Tice, Alex Collins in the flex spot. Alex Collins was a guy that I really liked coming into the season. Uh, Baltimore does not seem to believe in him as a lead back. He's had some fumbling issues. And when he fumbles, John Harbaugh wants to bench him immediately, which you can understand. I mean, in the NFL, there's really no excuse for fumbling. Uh, it, it just shouldn't really ever happen. And when it does, it's, it's a big issue. And he's had some issues with that. So you know, they go out and pick up Ty Montgomery at the trade deadline with him and with Buck Allen, you know, that could eat into Collins use 
uh, usage down the stretch. But overall, you know, really solid roster. Not surprising to see this team at six and two. And I think that it really comes down to tight for for Tice. It really comes down to Adrian Peterson um, and his continued usage. Is Mike Mike Evans an elite wide receiver down the stretch? And kind of what happens with that um, Baltimore running back situation. So going to move on, going to jump into Somos Dengue, my man Bettis. Going to take a quick sip of my Vicious Mosquito here. Other thing that I will note, guys, is that I don't write a script for these, obviously. I mean, I think that's – you guys can probably tell that. I do usually spend a good solid hour making some notes to myself before I jump in and do the pod. This week, this is straight off the cuff. I am just looking at rosters and sharing my thoughts off the top of my head. So, you know, if I'm struggling here or whatever – you guys are just going to have to bear with me. So hang on one moment here, and I'll be right back at it. All right. That is his roster. Somos Dengue. My man, Mitchell Trubisky at the top at QB. Um, also has Joe Flacco at QB, which, you know, has turned out to be a pretty good quarterback this year. They're throwing the ball really effectively with John Brown as their lead wide receiver and Crabtree and Willie Sneed has kind of resurrected himself as a, you know, medium volume, low ceiling wide receiver, but effective for that offense. Um, Want to talk about Trubisky for a second, obviously near and dear to my heart as a Bears fan. There have been some things recently, one on the ringer, a few other things around Twitter this week that Trubisky is basically Blake Bortles 2.0 and I don't buy it. The 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 idea here is that Trubisky is a bad real-life quarterback, good, but a good fantasy asset, <clears throat> and he's put up some good numbers the last few weeks. Sorry, dealing with a bit of a cough here, guys. Uh, hang on one second. <clears throat> All right. No cough button. The, the vicious mosquito should help me out there. Um, I think that that is a bad analogy for a couple reasons. One, I think if you're if you're watching him play, Trubisky is obviously inconsistent. He's had some accuracy issues. Um, that's maybe not surprising given that he's playing in a in a new offense, doesn't have a lot of experience under his belt. Has top, his top four wide receivers are all new. And there there were bound to be issues this year. That's um, that was just a given. And personally, from a fan standpoint. You know, they're a few plays away from being six and one this year. Like, I think this is pretty much best case scenario, given how terrible this team has been for for the last few years. But from a fantasy standpoint, I actually think it's a bad take for a couple of reasons. One is that, or, or maybe the most prominent is that in the years that Bortles has put up big fantasy numbers, 2015 especially, um, he, he was racking up garbage time. It, it was like the, the Panthers were getting blown out and they were just hucking it deep to Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns. And, you know, it was like he'd have 100 yards and no touchdowns at halftime. It would end the game with 350 yards and three touchdowns and they'd lose. And that's just not the way that the season is playing out for the Bears. Um, it's not the way game flow is going. And I, I just don't – I don't see it, you know. I, I mean, the book remains to be written. We'll see how it plays out, but – I think it's it's a little early to call him Bortles 2.0. One similarity that they do have is sneaky rushing upside, and that's where Trubisky is adding a lot of fantasy value for Bettis' squad right now. Um, he is running for 50 to 80 yards a game. He has touchdown upside on the ground. It just adds so much value. Like, I couldn't believe when I, I played Bettis last night, he shelled me, or last night, last week, he shelled me, obviously. 
I couldn't believe when I looked at the scores and saw that Trubisky had 27 fantasy points because I was like, man, he didn't have a very good game. But then when I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, he, he ran the ball a ton. Like they're running that um, that zone read that college teams run, you know, where you stick the ball in the belly of the running back and the quarterback reads the DN crashing down. They're running that play really effectively. And he's ripping off 10 yards at a time when they run that and he holds onto the ball. So, um, you know, not I, I mean, I think he's a viable QB one from a fantasy standpoint going forward the rest of the year. At wide receiver, Bettis is rocking Julio, as we know. Um, Julio is on pace for 1,800 yards and no touchdowns. Obviously, you know, those things are going to regress to the mean a little bit. I think it would be pretty awesome in a way, but also kind of stunning if Julio ended the year with no touchdowns. He'll definitely have some weeks where he gets into the box a time or two. Um, And he is... You know, from a physical talent standpoint, I think he's the best wide receiver in the game. From a usage standpoint, you know, he's still up there with the elite wide receiver. So he's going to be solid for Bettis down the stretch. Taylor Gabriel, excuse me, uh, and Sammy Watkins are are a little bit more volatile. Well, sorry, they're a lot more volatile. Uh, Taylor Gabriel is getting use both in the deep passing game and in the sort of high efficiency near the line of scrimmage wide receiver screen type passing game. Um, there will be weeks where he is very much featured in their offense. There will be weeks where he's not. I think this week coming up at Buffalo is one where he will not be featured heavily, but you know, as I said at the top, been wrong about pretty much everything in 2018. So take that with a lump of salt. Sammy Watkins had a huge game last week. Uh, I want to say it was eight for 105 and two touchdowns. The cool thing about Sammy Watkins this year in the Kansas City offense is they is is that the team has finally figured out the right way to use him. Um, whereas with Buffalo, he was just sort of a deep threat. With the Rams, he was a guy that was running clear out routes and opening things up for Bob Woods and Cooper Cup underneath. This year, they're actually getting him the ball and allowing him to use his speed. Uh, Ty Freak is a little bit banged up. That could open up some more usage for him. I don't think we're going to see, you know, too many games down the stretch where he's catching eight balls for 100 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that's kind of the, the you know, high end of expectation for him. But I do think that he will continue to see five to seven targets a game. And a guy with his athleticism and that kind of offense, um, getting that kind of volume is definitely a weapon. Um Obviously, the big thing for Bettis is Todd Gurley. I mean, come on. Todd Gurley is having the most ridiculous fantasy season since LaDainian Tomlinson. Um, he's on pace to score like 30 touchdowns or something just absolutely ridiculous like that. Could have had an even bigger game this last week if he hadn't taken the knee at the end, knowing that uh, if they just held on to the ball, they would win the game. So smart football move for him there. Um, so, you know, as long as Todd Gurley continues to ball out in the way that he is, Bettis and every other fantasy player that owns Todd Gurley in their league across the country is going to have a chance to win the championship. But I do have to give Bettis credit for, for one thing that, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was a little bit skeptical of, which is the way that he has built in some of the ancillary pieces in his roster. Um, right now he has Chris Carson in flex and he has James White in, at his RB2 spot. And both of those guys are really good running backs. James White, um, I think the Rex Burkhead injury helped James White out quite a bit because Burkhead is a good receiver. He gets goal line work. Um, and, and you know, when that Patriots offense is running the way they want it to, they have three running backs that they use. With Burkhead going down, 
that elevated White's usage, particularly in the passing game. And he's so good in the passing game. And, and you know, Brady obviously trusts him without the without the top end wide receivers that they've had in years past. You know, his role has been elevated with Gronk kind of um, looking like a lesser version of himself. By the way, that thing that Gronk wears on his arm, that elbow pad or whatever, he dude looks like a fucking cyborg, man. Especially when he's just like mashing people in the face like he did that Kansas City safety the other week that tried to tackle him. And I, I mean, dude looks like a robot out there. But anyways, um, James White, really good player. Chris Carson, I think is Seattle's best running back. They drafted that penny dude in the first round. So he's going to mix in. They've got Mike Davis. He's going to mix in. They want to be run heavy. They want to, you know, they want to be a, this kind of old school team that is, we're going to run the ball and play defense, which is kind of weird when you have Russ Wilson, but that's the identity that they want to have. I think the issue for Carson down the stretch is if they get behind, you know, similar to AP, he's not going to be in the game plan. And if Penny is healthy, you know, they invested a first round draft pick in the guy that I believe they traded up for. He's going to get some run. So that could limit Carson's upside. And I mean, it could limit his, his usage altogether. Um, The other thing that Bettis has going for him at running back is Aaron Jones from Green Bay. People have been saying all year that Aaron Jones is Green Bay's far and away their best running back. Um, and, and that the reason that Mike McCarthy hasn't been playing him is that there are concerns about him in pass protection, which is kind of stupid. So with the trade of Ty Montgomery, excuse me, Ty Montgomery, that opens up a lot of opportunity for Aaron Jones to be in the game more. Jamal Williams is fine, but he's not going to be ripping off tons of big runs. Um, I don't know how those two guys really compare in the pass game, but certainly they would not have traded Ty Montgomery if they didn't feel comfortable with Williams and Jones being their two guys going forward. So, you know, in that sense, I actually think Jones may end up being the better asset down the stretch than Chris Carson, but either way, Bettis has running back depth and running back depth is one of the things that you need to have if you want to make a run uh, in November and December. So, you know, for as much shit as I give Bettis and, you know, while I will never pick him head to head in a matchup against myself or, you know, pretty much anyone else, um, this is a really solid team top to bottom. I think the one thing that could unwind him is the volatility of his wide receivers um, because these are not guys that are, you know, locked into high floors every week. These are guys that could, you know, kill your week. Um, any given week, the fact that you've got Todd Gurley and James White to to kind of balance that out, I think is you know makes a big difference. So I, I certainly see Bettis' team making a run here. All right, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry about the cough. Sorry about the mosquito. We're moving on. Um, third team in the fraud division, Comer. Um, starting off with Cam Newton at QB. Talked about earlier in the year that I love that Colmer took Cam Newton at QB because I know that he hates him in real life. And same with uh, Odell Beckham. And those are the types of things that you have to be able to set aside if you want to have a successful fantasy season. Um, So good for Colmer there. One thing that's interesting about Cam Newton is he's always been kind of up and down. Like he'll he'll have these just monster weeks from a fantasy standpoint, and then like he'll get you eight points the next week. That's not really happening this year. Sort of, 
I think strangely, Norv Turner of all people has come in at offensive coordinator for the Panthers and has kind of steadied the ship there for them a little bit. They've really concentrated on getting the ball to Christian McCaffrey, running their offense through him. They have gotten, you know, they've gotten away from using these big, you know, two down running backs like Fat Mike Tolbert or Jonathan Stewart at the goal line. So that kind of locks in Cam Newton's goal line running back esque type role. And that really, uh, you know, kind of buoys his fantasy value at, at wide receiver, you know, love what Colmer has at the top with Odell Beckham. I, you know, Odell Beckham is so freaking talented, but certainly the demise of Eli Manning, you know, if, if there was ever even a ceiling on Eli Manning, although he has won two MFHC championships, just let it be known. Um, and two Super Bowls, but obviously the MFHC championships are, are far more important. Uh, you know, Odell Beckham, one of the most talented receivers in the league, but having quarterback issues, having offensive line issues, just not playing the good offense overall, that's going to cap his ceiling a bit. Steph Diggs, man, Steph Diggs is so damn good. Like, he, he might be the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, from a physical talent standpoint, part of the issue for him is he's never really done it over the course of a whole season. He's had some, some health issues, you know, just kind of nagging stuff that's uh, hurt him over the course of a full season. You know, even though he's been able to put these like really sick, like one month at a time together kind of things. But this year he's been more consistent. Excuse me. The mosquitoes catching up to me. Obviously, you know, Thielen is, is the man in, in Minnesota, but Diggs is like the man, you know, 1.2 or whatever. Like, that's where the ball goes in that offense is to Thielen and Diggs. Um, they don't have much of a running game, although, you know, Murray has done some things these last couple of weeks. Dalvin Cook is in the mix with his 0.0 points and yards every week. So there's that. Um, but Kirk Cousins is really all about getting the ball to Thielen and Diggs. So that's nice for Colmer. Um Wide receiver three and four, little more questionable for him. Um, DJ Moore, Carolina had his breakout game, rookie wide receiver last week. Carolina spreads the ball around a lot. And, you know, I think there will be some weeks where DJ Moore gets it done. I, I think I'd be a little surprised to see him just go on a tear, you know, between now and the end of the season. But again, been wrong about everything. So if I'm not buying into DJ Moore, I would highly suggest that that all of you, you know, invest heavily in him. Like I'm basically like Costanza right now. Whatever I think of is is certainly the wrong choice and do the exact opposite of whatever I say. Um, Antonio Callaway, I'm a little bit more sure about. He has been called by people far, far smarter than me. The worst starting wide receiver in the NFL this year. Dude is just not an NFL ready wide receiver, but they're running him out in Cleveland because they don't have anybody else to play. Comer also has my man Golden Tate, um, who has just been traded to the Eagles. I think that this is not good for Tate's value. I don't think it's a disaster, um, kind of in the same way that I don't think, you know, Amari going to the Cowboys is like a huge boon to Tice. I think that the Eagles want to spread the ball. I think that, you know, you've got Zach Ertz in the mix. You've got Jordan Matthews in the mix. You've got Nelson Agahor in the mix. You know, all these guys running routes in the middle of the field. 
And I, I think that's going to take away from Tate's volume. Whereas in Detroit, it was like Tate, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay. Those are the three guys that are getting the ball. Comer's running backs are close to being a disaster. LaShawn McCoy in Buffalo is, you know, that offense has scored seven touchdowns all year. They've scored one touchdown in the last three games. They had more dildos on the field on Monday night than they did touchdowns by three, I want to say. Maybe two. Anyways, there were some dildos on the field in Buffalo, and there were not many touchdowns. Kenyon Drake should be a legit fantasy RB2 if Adam Gase used him properly. Does not seem to want to do that. I will say it chapped my ass to no end that Kenyon Drake got two super felchy touchdowns last week. He got one after a complete BS uh, penalty on a field goal where they called roughing the snapper. How is roughing the snapper even a penalty? Like, what is that? I've never heard of that before. Uh, but I saw it called twice this week. Um, and then he got one on like some reverse pass or some BS. I don't know. Kenyon Drake is just not being used very well, but he did have a good week last week. And then uh, Devontae Booker, who is Denver's passing game running back, which is, you know, it's worthless. Um, he does have Sony Michelle and on his bench. And I think Sony Michelle is far and away the best running back on Colmer's roster. If he gets healthy and is right going forward, I think he'll be really good down the stretch. So, you know, to me, there's more question marks on Colmer's roster than there are with Bettis and Tice. But if Cam Newton stays hot, if Steph Diggs is hitting his ceiling, if Odell Beckham is hitting his ceiling, Colmer could be right there. Um, down the stretch of the season. Last team I'm going to talk about because I think it is worthy of doing so is um, Bartley's team, AKA Marvin's price just went up, which, you know, I love that. That's great. Uh, five and three, 1,037 points on the season uh, has quietly moved up the ranks over the course of the last few weeks. So just looking at his roster at QB, Fatty Stafford and Jameis Winston. I'm assuming Jameis Winston will be cut tonight. Fatty, um, you know, it's interesting what's going on in Detroit this year. They, under Matt Patricia, they are clearly wanting to become a a more balanced offense. Um, The last few years, they've been one of the most pass-heavy teams in the league. So I don't know what that means for um, Fatty's, uh, you know, fantasy outlook going forward, but... I think he's still a solid QB one. Like, you know, he's a good quarterback. He's got Marvin, obviously. He's got Kenny Galladay, who is kind of a beast. Um, both of those guys are set up really well down the stretch. So I think that should bode pretty well for for Matt Stafford. Uh, so Bartley also has Marvin Jones Jr. on his team. People are saying he should be the biggest beneficiary of the Golden Tate trade. I'm not sure, honestly. I mean, Kenny Galladay is like super talented and just a physical freak. I mean, they I think they call him Babytron or Minitron. I can't remember what it is, but you know, something playing off the Megatron nickname um, from uh, Calvin Johnson from a few years ago. So I think Kenny Galladay is probably the wide receiver one in Detroit. Marvin Jones is the wide receiver two, but Jones definitely has TD upside. He can get down the field. Uh, really like him a lot. Smokey John Brown has revived his career in Baltimore. Um, he is like, I want to say, number two or three in air yards in the NFL. They're throwing him the ball a ton every game. He didn't have a huge week this last week. Um, but, 
when he's been healthy, he's been really, really good. And, and I like him a lot from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, other wide receivers, unfortunately, Bartley was carrying Will Fuller. He's out for the year, obviously, you know, big upside guy. And this year, unlike previous seasons or, or season, I can't remember. He was a rookie last year for his second year, but, um, he was actually, you know, they were scheming him the ball in, in shorter areas of the field. So it wasn't just touchdown or bust with him. He was actually getting volume. Bartley also has Tyler Boyd uh, on Cincinnati, who has been a, a really, really nice pickup for him this year. Um, and, uh, you know, he's going to see six, seven, eight targets a game. AJ Green's a little banged up. If, if he ends up missing time, Tyler Green, or t- excuse me, Tyler Boyd is locked into probably 10 targets while AJ Green misses. They're on by. So they, so AJ has some time to get back. Doesn't sound like a serious injury. Regardless, he's going to continue to be involved in that offense. So really nice wide receiver core. And then at running back, Kareem Hunt on KC, who, you know, the way they use him week to week is a little bit, you can't predict it. It's a little inconsistent. Um, some weeks it's, it's very Kareem Hunt heavy. Other weeks it's not. But regardless, you're talking about the running back. It's playing on the, you know, one of the two best offenses in the NFL. So he's fine. Um, and then you got James Conner for a dollar. Um, I mean, that, this was this was the best draft pick, James Conner for one dollar. Um, if I told you in 2016 that you could have Le'Veon Bell for one dollar, you'd be like, "Great, I'm going to win the championship!" Right? Um, James Conner has been better than Le'Veon Bell by pretty much every statistical measure this year. Uh, so that bodes really, really well for Bartley down the stretch. His Flex position basically comes down at this point to Philip Lindsay or cheap tequila Lamar Miller. Either one of those guys are, you know, they're going to get you eight, 10 points potential for 15 to 20. Like those are perfectly fine guys to have locked into a flex spot as long as Royce Freeman is out of Denver. But, you know, honestly, even when Royce Freeman comes back, Philip Lindsay has been so much better than him. Like, are they really going to go back to, you know, splitting the carries? Like it seems to me that Philip Lindsay has won that running back job with the exception of Devontae Booker mixing in on third down. So, you know, that it works out really nicely for Bartley. He also has Zach Ertz at tight end. Um, you know, one of the few bankable tight ends in the league, there's just not that many guys that you can count on at tight end to get eight targets a game. I think Golden Tate moving to Balt or excuse me, moving to Philly probably does take away a little bit of Ertz's target share. But I mean, come on, Wentz is still going to be looking for him in the red zone, still looking for him on third down. I mean, those guys are kind of locked in. So, you know, I think Bartley is a guy if this roster, you know, stays healthy. There's not a lot of margin for error here because the bench is not deep. I mean, he's got Mark Ingram, but I don't know, man. Who knows where the ball is going to go in that um, Saints backfield? I think. Sean Payton has shown that he doesn't love giving the ball to Mark Ingram over the years. So um, I don't know, sort of feels like to me, like the saints want to run their offense through Camara and through Michael Thomas. Um, so, you know, not a lot of depth here. So Bartley is going to need to keep his team healthy and, or rely on those waiver wire sissy biatches that we know he loves so well. Um, but definitely has a shot if things break right for him and if his team stays healthy. So that is pretty much all I have for tonight. This has been a bit of a long one. Um, I am happy to take a look at some other teams. If, uh, you know, if Eric can pull himself back together after his hot start, if Scherzer can pull himself together, I've already talked about Tim, 
not going to talk about Nate, not going to talk about anybody else. So it's basically comes down to Eric and um, Scherzer. If you guys, if you guys are uh, looking to make a move there, that's all I got for tonight. Keep in mind, guys, we're a week and a half out from the pharmacy, November 11th, 2100 Northwest Gleason Street. Bettis and Nuts tell me that it is legit. So, you know, there's no possible way that this can fail. We have four dudes that are signed up to run a 40-yard dash. I know at least one of our guys can run a 4-7. We do not have a track identified yet. But worst case scenario, we walk it off on Gleason Street and uh, make it happen in between red lights. All right, fellas, that is all I have for today. Hope you guys have a great week. Uh, Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Thank you.